Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in, be part of the program on this kind of overcast Tuesday. Feels good outside, but it just doesn't look as pretty as the gray clouds have rolled in. Uh, some uh, We had some rain earlier, and uh, I don't see any more in the forecast, uh, at least according to the Apple Watch on my wrist right now. I haven't looked up the forecast uh, lately, but uh, still, the clouds are out. It is a little bit cooler, and uh, it, it's just overall kind of nice. Anyway... Glad to be with y'all today. Uh, lots to talk about. I did promise it yesterday. We will go ahead and start out today's show with the constitutional amendments on the ballot. Now, uh, Moon has talked a lot about them. Uh, Brandon and Bernie have talked about them on the morning show. And there is even a piece up on KPL965.com that kind of breaks down the constitutional amendments. You also get Moon's take on the constitutional amendments uh, but I wanted to, for those of y'all who may not catch those shows in the morning, wanted to explain uh, my take on it to y'all as well. Uh, I had mentioned it a little bit uh, several weeks back, and I know that today is the last day of early voting, and so some of you may have already voted on this. But if you went out to early vote, chances are you probably knew at least a little bit about what you were going into while you were voting. But with the election now a week away and a lot of Louisiana residents poised to go out on election day and because we believe in uh, because we believe in informed voters, I wanted to go ahead and, and one last time talk about these amendments. And before I do, I do want to give you this caveat. Everything I'm telling you or everything I'm about to tell you is purely analytical. I will not be voting for any of the constitutional amendments. I never vote for any constitutional amendments. I have preached since I was a wee radio lad in Natchitoches, Louisiana, have always preached that constitutional amendments in this state are stupid. And you need to know going in that I am telling you this only for your sake, not because I have any legitimate opinion on the matter in any of these. I will be voting against them on the principle that a constitution should not be amended. It is a foundational document. It is the bare-bones structure of how government is supposed to operate. The amendment process should not be used for pet projects to protect monies. And that's what the amendments end up being in the state of Louisiana. But you may disagree, or you may think it's important that some of the issues that are amendments are important, and you need to go vote on them. That's fine. I will give you the breakdown the basic outline is the same. It's PARS. It's the Public Affairs Research Council's guide. I'm just giving you what they say. And if you have any questions, call in. So there are eight amendments on the ballot for this election. I think there are like three or four on the December ballot. Four on the December ballot. So 12 amendments total. You, you understand why I think this is so ridiculous. But... There are some issues you may care about, like amendment number one, larger stock investments for trust funds. If I were somebody who believed in voting on the amendments, I would actually probably be okay with this one. Let the state increase to 65% the maximum amount of money in seven different trust funds that can be invested in equities on the stock market. That's what voting yes for this amendment would do. A vote against this amendment 
keeps tighter limits in place on the percentage of the trust fund's money that can be invested in the stock market with some unable to be invested in equities at all. In the state of Louisiana, we have always had money problems. And while the stock market has been unreliable as of late, typically growth has been shown over the long term. And the state does need to be able to make money. The state does need to be able to have in these trusts a good amount of money to be able to provide for what these trusts are supposed to provide for. I would be okay with investing more if I believed in voting for these amendments. Okay, so you see how I'm going to go about these now. I will give you the breakdown, what PAR says, and I will tell you in general why it might be a good or not good idea. The pros here, like I said, the state can invest more money and returns over a long period of time are typically good on the stock market. There's a chance for the state and these public trusts to be able to make more money in the long run. On the cons, the, the, the argument against, we have an unstable stock market right now. So you may want to consider the long-term versus the short-term on that one. Amendment number two, property tax exemptions for veterans with disabilities. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like we always have some sort of property tax exemption on the ballot every time there are amendments on the ballot. It always seems like one of them always has something to do with property tax exemptions. Do not know why. But this one is whether or not you want to increase the property tax exemption available to veterans with service-related disabilities and to their surviving spouses after the veteran's death. Or you want to maintain the current level of property tax exemption available to veterans with service-related disabilities and their surviving spouses. A vote for is to increase the exemption for veterans. A vote against is to maintain the current level of exemption. Amendment three, political activity for civil service workers when family members run for office. This one is a tricky one. Because by law, civil servants are not allowed to take part in any sort of electioneering. Any sort of campaign activities. But when it comes to family, political candidates do want their family members who may work in government to be there to support them. Not in their capacity as a government official, but as their family to show family support. A vote for it would let civil service employees support certain campaign activities of a candidate for public office when that candidate is an immediate family member. A vote against is to continue to prohibit Louisiana civil service employees from participating in campaign events. I am... Here's what I found. Nobody asked you, Siri. I'm tired of... Anyway, um, I need to change the sensitivity on it. Anyway... Uh, <laughs> So, Amendment 3, whether civil service workers can take part in campaign events when it's a family member running. That's kind of the, the, the big uh, caveat here. If it's a family member running. Once again, I'm actually okay with this. If I were somebody who voted on the amendments in terms of what they actually did. This is probably one I would be okay with. I understand the people who were against it, but I, I, would, be, I would be okay with this one. 
And then before we get to our first break, Amendment 4, so we can get halfway through it, uh, waiving charges for water use if infrastructure is damaged. Basically, if you vote for this when you're letting local water districts or municipalities reduce customer bills for water if the charges stem from water lost due to damage outside a customer's control, if you vote against it, you keep local water districts, municipalities, and other political subdivisions from lowering bills or waiving customer charges for water use in almost all circumstances. This one should be a no-brainer. You should, if you support voting for amendments, vote for Amendment 4. If the local municipality, if the local water control, whatever, is not maintaining proper infrastructure, that's on them. It should not be on you. And while you're at it, vote in new local politicians that can make sure the proper things get investigated and funded so that those infrastructure problems don't happen as much. But I digress. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break of the hour. When we come back, we'll go over the next four amendments, plus your calls if you have any on this, 232-1542. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. We'll take our break, and we'll be back in just a moment here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So again, talking about the amendments on the ballot. Uh, amendments 1 through 4, again, uh, larger stock investments for trust funds, that's Amendment 1. Uh, amendment 2, property tax exemptions for veterans with disabilities. Amendment 3, political activity for civil service workers when family members run for office. And Amendment 4, waiving charges for water use if infrastructure is damaged. Four more to go over here. Amendment 5, local authority over property tax rates. Essentially, giving local taxing bodies more time to decide if they want to roll forward millages that increase property taxes paid by businesses and homeowners or keep the rules governing millage roll forwards the same, giving local taxing bodies until next property reappraisals to make the decision. I really don't have anything much to say on this except that uh, it deals with taxes and I'm not for it. Uh, this is one of those where I, I would just vote against it. Um, Mark, do you have any, any thoughts on that one? Uh, concerning it's the one concerning local millages. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the process. Yeah, I don't know. And I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive on it, Joe, but I, I can tell you this, the, the bottom state law says for all local governments, if the millages this year did not bring in property millage, the same amount they brought in last year, that the government, without a vote of the people, can roll that millage forward. In other words, increase it mm -hmm. to be able to get the same dollar amount that they got in the previous year. Okay, and so I, I, I don't know, and I'm I'm like you; these things are so deep. I have so many questions about them that uh, <laughs> I'm kind of reluctant to to vote yes on anything. Yeah, that that's kind of where I am on a lot of these issues. All right, so I'd. No opinion either way, other than not going to vote for, but again, just kind of the general behavior I take toward all amendments. Uh, number six, property tax assessment increases in Orleans Parish. Oh, Mark, I think you said this on Winging It Wednesday a couple weeks back. Why? Why would something concerning Orleans Parish be on the be an amendment in the state's constitution? That is absolutely ridiculous. 
Uh, property. Ta- so if you vote for this one, you vote to limit increases in the property tax liability of homes subject to homestead exemptions in Orleans Parish, capping the reassessment increase to 10% of the residential property's assessed value in the previous year. If you vote against it, you're voting to continue the current system, which requires a four-year phasing of tax liability for homes subject to the homestead exemption when a reappraisal increases in assessments by more than 50%. I don't understand why something dealing with one specific parish should be an amendment that goes into the state's constitution if the state's constitution has to uh, focuses on laying the groundwork of all of state government. I would I would vote no regardless of my feelings on amendments in general. This is ridiculous. Amendment 7 limits on involuntary servitude. Okay, so I've written about this a couple times at kpel965.com. The author is actually now saying, vote against it. And the reason why is that the wording of the amendment actually could be interpreted to allow involuntary servitude in the, in the criminal justice system. Now, this is actually a bigger issue. The criminal justice system, by having, uh, by having inmates do work and get paid very little or not at all, just you know the hard labor work of being in prison, there are activist groups out there that say this is involuntary servitude. And there is a criminal justice debate that goes back and forth on this. This amendment is one of those pushes that we're seeing across several states that actually tries to push back against this and tries to ban it. What the original author of this amendment was trying to do was ban involuntary servitude banned slavery in the criminal justice system. Now, slavery itself is already banned nationwide. So people who are against this type of push are, are saying this is already a nationwide thing, but it's what happens in the criminal justice system that has activist concern. And I think rightfully so. But this particular amendment is worded so poorly that you can actually use it to substantiate any forced servitude in the criminal justice system. So vote against that one. The author of the bill is now saying, come out and and vote against that one so that we can revisit it later. I think it's an issue worth revisiting and having a deeper discussion on. But that's the problem. We didn't have a whole lot of discussion on it. None of the public eye anyway. It happened in the halls of the legislature, but we really didn't get much of that discussion here. All right. And lastly, Amendment 8, property tax assessments for certain people with disabilities. If you vote for Amendment 8, you are voting to remove the requirement that certain property owners with disabilities annually certify their income to receive a property tax rate freeze. If you vote against it, you are voting to continue the continue the annual income certification required for certain property owners with disabilities to receive a property tax rate freeze. This is one that I would say vote against. And it's the same reason that a lot of people feel that you need some sort of checks and balances system on many social welfare uh, items, uh, like drug testing, uh, Job, you know, uh, verifying that somebody who is on unemployment is searching for a job, checks like that. This is one of those same things. Is this person with a disability? Do they still, if, if it's not like a permanent disability, 
Um, are they, do they still qualify under that disability? What has anything changed in terms of their physical, mental condition, whatever? Those are things that you want to make sure that people still certify for. It doesn't explain what certain property owners with disabilities actually means. So we don't know what conditions I guess are covered just by voting on this amendment. I would vote against it because I would want to see who qualifies and who doesn't. If there's a list that comes out and says, if you have like this particular disability, there's no way you recover from it. And so that would be, you know, one thing to, to consider in that in the future, but just the, the plain language there, I would vote against that. So that's all eight amendments. And to go back to what I was saying earlier, uh, I think it was somewhere around, I, I was having the conversation with a former political science professor of mine, and he's very much in the pro-new uh, constitution for Louisiana camp. And he and I were talking about it, and he said, you know, we, we redid our constitution, what, 72, something like that, 74? And one of the primary reasons behind it is that we had too many amendments on it. Well, as of like 10, 12 years ago, we had three times as many amendments in the Constitution that we did when we got rid of the old one in 74. So we just keep adding to it. The problem is our legislators decide they don't want to have these political debates in the halls of the legislature. They just want to, you know, push it off on us. Be like Pontius Pilate, wash their hands of it, make the voters deal with it. I don't like that system. All right, let's take a break. Our bottom of the hour news break is coming up. The Joe Cunningham Show returns. We'll talk about some more of the midterms here in just a moment on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, glad to be with y'all today. But you know who may not be glad today? It's the people of Florida because Joe Biden has apparently decided to go there. I'm not exactly sure the logic behind this one, y'all, but this is pretty extraordinary to me. Joe Biden has decided to go to Florida here in the week leading up to the midterm elections. He's decided, according to CNN, that he wants to take the, quote, MAGA Republicans of Florida and set them up as a foil to himself and his party. And there's an issue there, namely, can Joe Biden read the room? I don't think he can. Joe Biden is deeply unpopular in Florida. And what makes matters worse is the Democrats in the state of Florida don't really want him there. They're doing bad enough as it is. Charlie Crist has no chance. Val Demings, they've pulled money out of Crist's and Demings' races against Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio, respectively, to put them in other states. It's unclear why he's going to Florida. Biden and his team have been hoping to use Florida's what they call constellation of Trump-aligned Republicans, including the former president himself, to crystallize Biden's closing pitch that the election is a choice and not a referendum and galvanize Democratic voters. That's from CNN. As Biden's senior advisor said, you can't shake a stick in Florida without hitting a Republican that represents MAGA extremes that the president is talking about. 
So it allows the president to really drive home what's at stake and what the choice is. They haven't made clear what the choice is. They want it. They want it to not be a referendum on them and their policies, which I get. I totally, totally get. You don't want the voters to think about inflation, which is your fault. You don't want them to think about gas prices, which is your fault. You don't want them to think about the economy, which is your fault. You don't want them to think about crime, which is your party's fault. You want them to think about Donald Trump and MAGA Republicans. And as a result, Biden somehow thinks that going to Florida, which is no longer a swing state, mind you, it is a solidly red state for this election. Biden and his team think that going to Florida is somehow going to make the magic message finally happen, finally stick in people's brains. Biden's team first identified Florida as an ideal launching point for his midterm message over the summer. That kickoff was delayed by the president's COVID-19 diagnosis and scuttled again by Hurricane Ian. So instead, Biden has chosen it as the location for a major rally, rally, that he makes as he makes his closing argument ahead of next week's midterm elections. He has drawn on Florida Republican Rick Scott's policy proposals and on threats of Republican brinkmanship over the debt ceiling to argue the GOP will hurt the economy and put popular entitlement programs at risk. And with senior heavy Florida as the backdrop, Biden also held an official event before the rally calling attention to Republican Social Security and Medicare proposals. We're back to that old thing. Social Security and Medicare. We're back to the image of Paul Ryan shoving a grandma out of a wheelchair over a cliff. Do y'all remember that visual? That's what the Democrats are back to. The Democrats are back to that because they don't have anything on the current issues that are there. Inflation, which is the fault of the Biden administration. Gasoline, which is a fault of the policies of the Biden administration. Crime, which is Democrats' failure overall. COVID-19 policies, which were the Democrats' failure overall, and which Florida didn't really implement all that much. Some local municipalities closed certain areas like public beaches, but the state of Florida did not entertain much of that. The educational drop, which is the result of Democrats and their push for COVID COVID policies and procedures that shut schools down. Ron DeSantis's legislative efforts to give parental rights, uh, to give rights back to parents and education have been met with, met with approval by not just Republicans, but Democrats as well. Ron DeSantis is about to win his job back. He's about to win re-election, possibly by double digits. Charlie Chris doesn't stand, stand a snowball's chance in this. But the Biden administration, the Biden team, really thinks if Biden just goes to Florida, he can be the one to make the point to galvanize Democrats against Republicans. And it's not going to work. Because nobody in Florida really cares about the ongoing war between the Biden administration and MAGA Republicans. What people care about is the fact that they can't afford the things they used to afford. 
They can't buy the gas that they need to get from place to place at times because it's gone up by a, a lot. It's much higher now than it was when Joe Biden took over. And even if it has dropped, it's still much higher than it was when Biden took over. And no matter how many media attacks, no matter how many Democratic attacks that Ron DeSantis and his team has faced, they've come out on top, not just in terms of the political victory, but with people approving of it. Miami-Dade has long been a progressive stronghold in Florida, but now it's got a Republican governor. And the Hispanic vote in, Georgia, in Florida, which is primarily Cuban immigrants, they tend to vote Republican more than Democrat now. And that's been a long time coming. But Joe Biden is traveling to Florida not just to set up this confrontation between him and MAGA Republicans, but also because he has to look like he's doing something. No candidate wants him out there. You'll notice in this rally, talking about this rally, it doesn't mention who's going to be there. Who's going to be at this rally? Doesn't say Val Demings, doesn't say Charlie Crist. Joe Biden's going just to hold a rally by himself. He's not going to a place that's actually a swing state. He's not going to Nevada. He's not going to Arizona. He's not going back to Pennsylvania. He's not going to North Carolina or Ohio. Joe Biden is going to Florida, which is a solidly red state. There's no chance he's going to convince voters of anything, but he has to look like he's doing something. Because no candidate wants him on the trail with him. That is a big issue for the Democrats. Their own president is not, he, he, they don't want him anywhere. His approval ratings are, are still in the double digits in the, in the uh, red. Voters don't like him. They think the country's headed in the wrong direction. But Joe Biden has to be out there seen doing something other than going back on vacation to Delaware. And the Democrats have to make it look like their guy is still their guy, even though they don't really want him to be their guy. So while it may look like Joe Biden is going to Florida to set up a big uh, fight with MAGA Republicans and to make that comparison, in reality, Joe Biden is going somewhere where he can, he can look like he's doing something, but he can be out of the way because there are seven days until Election Day and Joe Biden his party does not want him anywhere. That's the bottom line here. And all those senior advisors, all the people speaking off the record, you know, speaking on, uh, on condition of anonymity to CNN and these other outlets, some of them may be drinking the Kool-Aid, but a lot of them know, no, we just got to get him out of the White House and somewhere, but without him doing much damage. Because Joe Biden going to Florida doesn't help Democrats. Joe Biden going to Florida hurts Democrats, but they are already expecting to lose the state, so there's no real harm being done there. All right, let's go ahead and take our final break of the day. When we come back, some new polling data out that puts a big Democratic stronghold at risk. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL.
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5. KPL 232-1542 is the number to call if you want to be part of today's conversation. All right, a little bit of breaking news before I move on here. Uh, so we have our fourth Lafayette Parish student arrested for terrorizing, this time uh, at Northside High School. Uh, at Northside uh, on Friday, they had a, an evacuation. Uh, a social media threat was posted, and it spread to the students. The school evacuated all of the students from the campus. Law enforcement went through to uh, sweep the building. They found no threat. The students were allowed to go back in. That was, again, on Friday. Uh, on Friday, they went back to school and remained uh, on shelter in place until the end of the school day. Now, today... Lafayette police and LPSF have announced that a Northside student unnamed has been arrested and charged with terrorizing. Terrorizing, you should know, gets you up to 15 years in prison and up to $15,000 in fines or both. This isn't just a either or thing. You, you could be, you could very well wind up with both. Now, they are kids, many of them juveniles. Uh, who knows how the second half of the uh, judicial system, the law and order system, the, or, the order part would uh, would handle it as far as getting to court and everything. But Lafayette Police, uh, the district attorney's office, Lafayette Parish School System, they have all maintained that they are planning to uh, to take all this very seriously. And they should. There's no reason for have as, have, to have as many disruptions this year as we've been having in our schools. But part of the problem is a lot of these kids really don't understand how big a legal issue this is for them, how life-altering these decisions can be. And to me, it's extraordinary that so many have tried to get away with it. And hopefully we, get, we continue to see that if these threats are made, law enforcement continues to take every one of them seriously because you never know. You really don't. You never know when it could actually be the real deal. And anybody who's looking to make the threats just to get out of class for a few hours really and truly deserves the full punishment of the law on that. But anyway, that's the update there. If you recall, last week, Northside was evacuated due to a threat. They have now arrested a student, uh, a Northside student, and they have been charged with uh, terrorizing. So that's kind of the breaking news story. This came out a little while ago from uh, LPD and LPSS. Going back, there is a national story, one last national story. And I've been talking about this one for a while now. And uh, I had talked to some folks on the side, and they're like, you don't really think this could be a thing, do you? And I said, no, I don't really think that Kathy Hochul is going to lose in New York. But man... Man, things have taken a turn in New York. Let me pull up the Real Clear Politics uh, latest polling on this because you need to see just how crazy this is. Real Clear Politics, thanks to a New York poll from Trafalgar, has Kathy Hochul and Lee, and Lee Zeldin effectively tied. the The official difference is by uh, is like eight point. Yeah. 48.4 in Zeldin's favor to Hochul's 47.6. So 
technically, although well within the margin of error, the Republican candidate is winning, according to Trafalgar. Now, Trafalgar is a Republican-leaning firm, and you do need to remember that. But at the same time, when you look at the polling averages, it was on Friday, on Friday, Lee Zeldin was at 43% in his polling average. Today, he's at 45%. His average just over recent polls has gone up two points. On October 12th, his average was at 38%. And Kathy Hochul was at 49.7%. Here's today's average. Hochul, 49.8%. Lee Zeldin at 45%. And the Trafalgar poll has them effectively tied looking at 1,200 likely voters. Again, if Lee Zeldin wins, that's not just a red wave. That's, just not a, that's not just a tsunami. That is an apocalyptic level event. I don't know that it happens, but the fact that the Democrats, the, the Democratic Governors Association is now setting up a political action committee to feed money into New York to prop up Kathy Hochul is a big sign that they are worried. They are terrified that the Republican Party is about to do some major damage to their ranks. You heard on Bongino's show a little while ago, Tudor Dixon running against Gretchen Whitmer. Nobody thought Tudor Dixon had a snowball's chance in hell. And here we are, Tudor Dixon is putting up a real fight. The polling on that one has been crazy. Effectively tied, according to the latest poll from American Greatness uh, and uh, Insider Advantage, Whitmer has a 3.6% tie in the average, but Whitmer's numbers are flatlined at about 49%, and Dixon's have been steadily growing since the beginning of the month. And Dixon was way down back in August. Dixon's average has shot up by almost 10 points since August. Something is changing in these traditionally Democratic states. The undecideds are breaking to the Republican Party. And there's still this talk, and I want to mention this before we have to go, there's still this talk of the non-reporting, the non-response bias. Nate Cohn at the New York Times wrote about this. While non-response bias is challenging to prove, there was one possible marker of it, in the New York Times Siena College data in 2020. White registered Democrats were more than 20% likelier to respond to surveys than white registered Republicans. In the final wave of Senate and House polls in the last few days, that hallmark of non-response bias looks as if it's back. So if you have that many Republicans who are not answering the polls, where do you think those numbers are going to shift when everything plays out on election day? As my friend Mo Lane, who used to write with me at Red State, would say, doom. That's all he would say in all caps, D-O-O-M, doom for the Democratic Party. All right, 23 hours, and then we'll come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. The show notes, as always, are up on joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Check out my latest at kpl965.com, and be sure to listen to the podcast version of the show. I'll talk to you guys again in 23 hours 
Shannon is offsides next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.